a good reward for their toil. I do a lot of work alone, but I do recognize that it's much easier if you have one more person with you. Even if they're not as skilled as you, they can help you do what's so much harder to do um, alone. I can figure it out. I can figure out how to get it done. But it's going to take a lot more effort and usually some special tools or equipment to be able to do that. <clears throat> if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who, ha who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. We are here to lift up each other. So when one gets down or di discouraged, you can have encouragement from the other. That's why we're concerned when we go through different things. Um, Nikki's been going through different challenges with her own family, uh, with her great-grandchildren, with her grandchildren. Um, and I'm not trying to share all your business, Nikki, but I'm just saying that's a season of difficulty in her own health and, and then the death of, of, um, of her uh, sister-in-law. So all of those things, but she's here. And it's good to be here, to be able to get that pat on the back, that encouragement that um, from, from each of us, we need that. Then it says here, um, verse 12, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, when criminals look to commit crimes, they look for a target. And they want a target if they're going to break into a home or a car or um, um, a business. They look for the easiest target. What's well, easiest to break into? They want to do the least effort. If they want to rob a person, they're looking for a target who is easiest to rob. So it says one person can, can, can be taken, but it's harder when there's two. That's why when our small children, our ladies walk to the parking lot, we want our men to escort them. Sometimes just the presence of two people. And sometimes it's just two ladies together. I understand that. But just the presence of two people is a deterrent to the one who wants it easy. So life is that way as well. We encourage each other. When a lion attacks a, um, a herd, whatever that, that, that group is, or wolves attack a herd, they try to divide and get them to run in different directions so they can isolate and attack. And Satan tries to do that same thing with us, isolate us and attack. We're here today so that we're not isolated, so we're connected, so we're grouping together. We let each other know in our prayers tonight. We join together in small prayer groups so that you know you have a person who knows a little bit more about you and is praying for you um, and is, is, is partnering together with you for strength, for encouragement, and for prayer. There's not a one of us that doesn't need encouragement and support. It's not a one of us. Sometimes we think we're th strong, that we don't need help. The fact is, we, each of us need strength, encouragement, and support 
um, we may not need all the same amount or the same frequency, but we all need support and encouragement. And so it's just a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There's more strength in unity of numbers. And so um, all of this can lead us, we don't have time to, 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 to get into that second part and look in the New Testament and talk about the church and the function of the church and how Holy Spirit empowers and gifts individuals and how we are to be in unity and working together to accomplish the task that, that God has for us. And so, um, but it's, it's picturing that, it's pointing towards that. So um, we work together. Now we are a small group here at Sweet Communion, but I believe God has gifted us to accomplish a lot, and that is by the working together and the connecting together of the pieces. I'm so thankful um, for the people that God has given me to work with in this ministry. It's such an encouragement to know that they love the Lord, they want to serve the Lord, and uh, they, they are united. I, I tell our leadership all the time, I'm looking, I love to help, but I have people, uh, a group that through thick and thin, that we are here to serve God. We know it's not going to be easy all the time, but we have the encouragement and the support of God's people. I want to end on one thing. Think about that. O'Brien's been going through um, John. Uh, he's about to the end of it now. But one of the hardships that Jesus endured is before the cross, everybody left. That's what he had to endure, what he never wants us to have to be. When he left, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you until the end of the age. He promised us what we never could give or never would give to him. And that's just... Even saints. Going to be finishing our meditation through the Gospel of John today. And we noted that this book is written so that we might believe. And so we saw last time that Jesus revealed himself to his disciples more than once. One time Thomas wasn't there. He appeared again, and then he said, Thomas, don't be unbelieving, be believing. And it's just interesting to me that chapter 21 is even in the book at all. Because when you get to the end of chapter 20, it seems like that's the end. But it's not the end. And so let's read the real ending of the book says after this Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias he revealed himself in this way Simon Peter Thomas called the twin Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together Simon Peter said to them I am going fishing they said to him we will go with you they went out and got into the boat but that night they caught nothing just as the day was breaking Jesus stood on the shore yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast a net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. 
that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also had leaned back against him during the supper, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but... If it is my will that you remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself cannot contain the books that would be written. What is this chapter about? What is this chapter about? It starts off with Peter going fishing. And people make a lot of, I don't think I've heard more. This chapter is the one that I've heard the weirdest sermons on. I'll put it that way. I've heard some strange things about this chapter. I've heard some sermons all about agape love. It's not true. And I've heard some sermons that Peter went back to his old job. And then I've heard other sermons about why Jesus had to ask him to love three times and all kind of stuff. And I think the answers to all these questions are simpler than people make it out to be. But what is this chapter about? It says, follow me. Now Peter goes fishing. Why does Peter go fishing? Is it because he quit the ministry? Because he liked fishing. (laughs) Right? He likes fishing. 
You don't have to be no reason more than that, right? People add so many deep things in there. Peter went fishing because Peter used to fish. He likes to fish. And that's what he's doing. And here's what. Jesus told him to wait until they receive the Holy Spirit. It's not like Peter is ignoring his duty, right? It's not like Peter was supposed to preach a sermon on Sunday and he went fishing instead. He has free time, so he's doing what he enjoys doing, which is fishing. There's nothing wrong with that. Just so happened, though, he takes fishing real serious because he used to be a fisherman, so he's fishing probably up like four in the morning. Right? To the point where they've been fishing for hours where they say they've been fishing all night. And even when they're done with that, then it's time for breakfast. So he's he's a serious when it comes to his fishing, right? So Peter is fishing, and there's nothing wrong with him fishing. He's already seen the Lord more than once. And so he goes and he's enjoying himself with his disciples, but it just turns out they don't catch anything. And then Jesus calls out to him. And at that point, they don't know it's Jesus. And he's like, have you caught any fish? No. Well, why don't you try casting your net on the right side? Now, that doesn't make any sense. Because they've been fishing and they're experts. And they know that if you just put the net on one side of the boat than the other, that doesn't mean that you're going to all of a sudden catch a whole bunch of fish. That'd be different if you went to a whole other sea or a whole other part of the lake, right? But just taking the net from one side to the other side, that shouldn't make a big difference. But they do it anyway. Why? You know why? Because why not? Nothing else works, right? So they put it on the other side and they catch all these fish. And then what does John say? It's the Lord. This is only something Jesus would do, right? This is a Jesus thing right here. And John recognizes Peter because, I mean, God, John recognized Jesus because John has this he just has this connection with Jesus. He recognizes who Jesus is first. So you could say John is superior in his knowledge and understanding, but Peter is superior in his zeal because who jumped into the sea? Oh, that's Peter who jumped into the sea. Went to see the Lord first. Called the fish. Now one thing about Jesus, right? And this is just a minor point of the story. But do you notice that even though they're dragging the fish and the fish are not there yet, he got fish? Where do you get them fish from, right? But it's a little lesson in that, and that is this. God don't need what we bring, but he's gracious enough to use what we bring, right? So he's sitting there, at the, he already got some fish frying. He said, yeah, you can bring some of yours too, that's okay. Those one you caught on the right side because of me. Yeah, you can bring those. Nobody dares ask if this is the Lord because they know it's the Lord. And after that, he asked Simon three times. Why does he ask Simon, do you love me three times? Let's ask another question. What else has Peter done three times? He done denied Jesus three times. He denied Jesus three times. Let's think of it in another way. Who was the leader of the disciples? Amongst the disciples? It was Peter. But who denied Jesus the worst? It was also Peter. And so now, the leader of the apostles 
is going to be restored. And that's a big part of this lesson that he's restored. And it may seem like, I don't think even Peter appreciated what Jesus was doing. He didn't, right? You can tell he didn't get it. But Jesus asked him, do you love me three times to match each time of the denial? And in a way, you could say it this way. He then put something on top of the cake, right? He put three layers of do you love me, and then the frosting on top is, and just in case anybody has any doubts about whether Peter is for real, hey, Peter, one day, men are going to lead you where you don't want to go. But you follow me. In case you doubt Peter's ability to lead this church, I'm going to make him pay the highest cost to prove that he's faithful. I think sometimes we think of hardships as unnecessary difficulties. And God looks at hardships as proving the faith that he put inside. It's not until I really, even just now, I just started to think about, I fully understood in James when he said, did you see how the Lord treated our brother Job? And he said, the Lord is very merciful. Who, when they read Job first, thought the Lord was merciful? I did not think that. I did not think that. But when you read this passage, you understand that God puts us in hardships to prove faith that he puts inside, you could say I was merciful to Job. Even putting him through all that. Because by putting him through all that, what do we say about Job? Man, that's a faithful guy. Who in here can't say Job is faithful? Who in here can say Job is not righteous? Who in here can say Job is not a good dude? Who in here can't say Job is better than them? Why can we say those things? Because he went through trials. Now, when you follow Jesus, you got a problem. And you know what the problem is? It's a cost, but you don't get to decide what it's going to be. And Peter turned around when he saw that cost. He's like, what about him? And you know, Jesus was so understanding of that. He's like, you know what? I feel you, Peter. And he's also going to be isolated on an island and die. He, did he say that? Oh, I thought that was in verse 26, but there is no verse 26. What did he say? None of your business. None of your business. I was preaching on this when I went to um, the church in Indiana to my father-in-law's church. And I talked about the fact that we don't know what cost we're going to have to pay. But that doesn't necessarily mean that if we don't pay the cost, we don't pay a cost. And let me get, explain what I mean by that. Jesus had to pay the cost by being on the cross. But do you think it was easy for his mother to watch her, him be crucified? Let's put it this way. If the church receives persecution, and I walk out of the church and say, be faithful to the death, I'm about to go get shot. Somebody got to preach next week. It's going to be hard for me to be persecuted and get killed. 
It's also going to be hard for my wife to have to watch that and stay be faithful anyway. It's going to be hard for you guys to be faithful. There is a cost, but we don't necessarily get to calculate that even by appearances. You might say, well, he paid for his life and the other person, we still don't know the impact. Because Mary had to watch her son be on the cross. And I'm not quite sure we can really calculate how much of pain that caused her. And so we can say this, we all have to pay a cost. We just don't know what it is, and it's none of our business what anybody else pays. And we may not even have the ability to calculate accurately the cost that somebody else pays, even if we know all the facts. That's why Jesus said, it's none of your business. None of your business. Here's another last point. Everybody that's at this event is extremely faithful and a high-ranking Christian at the highest ranks. And even they heard Jesus wrong and reached a false conclusion that the Apostle John would not die. And that tells you this. Those of us who get driven crazy by people having wrong conclusions about the word of God and things like that, that is not new with us. And it won't end until the age is over. You could tell this drove John crazy. He had to put this at the end of the book. Right? It drove him crazy. But it's a lesson in that. And that is this. Even faithful people not paying enough attention can mishear the Lord. And sometimes we have to check that we heard the Lord right. Sometimes we do. If you would have checked with Peter and John, you would have known that John, yeah, he's not, he's not immortal. Somebody went out there telling that story. And that became a rumor in the church that John had to put down. I'm sure John got tired of putting that question down. And there's things like that in our day and age. False teachings of different rumors and stuff that go out. You're like, that's not true. Be faithful. Follow me. It's also a cost that we must bear. Amen.